Glad to welcome you to our Sunday School class. This is a second class on Devoted to God's Church. I'd like to invite you to bow in prayer as we begin our study today. Father, thank you that you have given us the church. Thank you that you have given us your son who loves the church. I pray that in our study of it today and in the coming weeks that you would be building us up in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just as a really quick reminder, we've begun to study the subject devoted to God's church that goes along with our 2022 theme for the church, Grace to Run the Race, as a theme of discipleship or growing in grace in the Christian life. I introduced it in our last lesson and found a summary from Sinclair Ferguson's book titled by this name, Devoted to God's Church. It is very good that I've taken as a a jumping off point for us. He says that being a Christian is not an individualistic or isolated activity. Believing also involves belonging. Being a Christian by definition involves belonging to the church. So my aim and my hope for this Sunday school class is that that it would serve to help you as a believer, wherever you are in the Christian faith, whether you are a new Christian, understanding what it means to be a part of the church, or as a more mature believer, being reminded and refreshed in taking a look at what it means to belong to the family of God. The outline that I handed out, you can see that uh, what we covered on our first time was that we covered Number one, why study the church? And point, uh, I can't remember how I have it on the, uh, the handout. Let me grab one real quick. Yeah, just, uh, just number one, uh, looking at answering why study the church. Number one, private means of grace versus public means of grace. I'm going to pick up with number two, uh, thinking of the decline of the church in the West. Sinclair Ferguson has made this observation that the church is in decline in the United States and in the West in general. And by the West, we are thinking of uh, of the uh, of Europe and the United States, uh, North America. There are several reasons for this that I'd like to to consider today. When we talk about the living in the West today, it was a, there was a point in which the uh, the church swept through the Western culture and was a, a foundational aspect of the West. But we talk about now living in a post-Christian era in the United States and in much of the Western world. And some have even said it's, it's even further beyond being post-Christian. We live in a neo-pagan era of, uh, of culture today. And you can look at statistics that prove this in the United States and in Europe and in places like that. Just take Europe as an example. It was the cradle of the Reformation. This was where all of these great Protestant truths came to uh, to be born out of the darkness of the uh, of the middle ages 
And yet now many of the churches in Europe stand empty or they have been bought and made into shopping malls or apartments or mosques. Uh, This is a transition that's taking place in much of the Western world that there is decline in the church. And there are a, a few reasons that we might identify for this. I would say there's a general trend towards secularism that has some roots in the Enlightenment, and that Enlightenment which elevates reason above uh, above all else. But the Enlightenment and the secular, secularism that we would uh, see also has some uh, underlying roots as well that have to be identified as spiritual. The elevation of reason is not just because of reason in and of itself. There is a spiritual rebellion against allegiance to Christ that is taking place in the midst of that. And that's the same for secularism as well. So part of the societal decline that we see in the world today is a decline that's due to a general rejection of the gospel, not just the elevation of other things, but the rejection of Jesus Christ in general, which is now bearing many different fruits. I'd like you to uh, look at John 15, verses 18 through 21 as an example of this. Jesus was well aware of the opposition that exists in the world against himself and against the church that he would found. Uh, And if I could have a volunteer to read John 15, verses 18 through 21. Thanks, Chris. It's a very eye-opening passage, isn't it? It identifies the enmity that exists between God and the serpent. This is the story of the Bible, isn't it? There is enmity between God and his people and the serpent and his people. And it is enmity. It's not just a... It's not just a mild dislike or misunderstandings or failure to just be nice and get along. There is genuine enmity because the world hates Christ and unbelievers hate Christ. And that is then leveled at the church. And so there is a certain aspect of decline that is happening in in our society. I want to pause there and ask if, Uh, If you'd like to share observations just about the societal decline that you could could point to, to say, yeah, I can see this taking place. What's evidence of societal decline? 
Uh, doesn't take very long, does it? Yeah, Mark. Very good. One of the things that my mind turned to was uh, a series, well, it was a book and then a video series by Francis Schaeffer, and I'll date myself here, but uh, the title of the book was Whatever Happened to the Human Race? And it chronicled the decline of a view of the sanctity of human, human life and uh, the the beginnings of infanticide and euthanasia and things like that. And uh, what he was foreseeing in the future are now, uh, we've uh, rushed well beyond much of what he was seeing and have, have rushed into uh, many further uh, things that, that you have described in, in the areas of, of uh, marriage and of gender and uh, all of the wokeness of our, of our society right now. So there's one aspect of the decline of, this, uh, of the church in, in our society today. It has an underlying spiritual reason, uh, the, the societal decline that becomes apparent because of the rejection of the gospel. And it bears out what Jesus said, that if you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Um, so the enmity between Christ and his followers and Satan and his followers uh, is borne out. Let's go on to be here. And I'll, I've described this as, uh, as internal decline or decline that's due to sins of the church. And I have in mind here that there's uh, decline in in theology and decline in piety or the 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 devotion to God, the practice of the Christian life. That there's decline in academia, the study of uh, of the Christian church. There's decline in apologetics, the defense of the faith. There's decline in ethics, the application of God's truth to the difficult aspects of this world. And there is decline due to just the general sins of the church. One of the, uh, the uh, blogs that I, I read in preparation for this is, to, is to described as, the, as a study that was done 
uh, I think it was two years ago, that was described as the, the state of theology in, uh, in the United States. You can look that up and you can see that there are surveys that have been taken that, uh, that describe the opinions of churchgoers about basic theology. From the Trinity to the virgin birth to the reality, the, the fact of the res, uh, resurrection, uh, they give percentages of, uh, of what people believe about these things. And there is a decline in all of these fundamental orthodox understandings of the Christian faith, let alone then some aspects where there, uh, there are applications of that into life about, about marriage, uh, about, uh, about gender, about all of these other, other aspects. It's a fascinating study, but it, it is a study that is discouraging to because of that decline. But uh, there's decline as well, not only in theology, but in all of these other areas. Uh, the, the idea of devotion to God, or piety is the word that I used here, the, is looked down upon as being uh, puritanical or being narrow-minded. It's, uh, it's often... Uh, uh, slammed by the world as being straight-laced or uh, being unable to get with the, with the, uh, with the world that is today. Uh, and these areas of decline, though, are uh, also have a, a spiritual root to them. And I would, I w- I've called them decline due to the sins of the church. Uh, so the societal decline has a spiritual root, the, uh, the general rejection of the gospel, but a decline in theology and devotion and apologetics uh, has to be laid at the feet of the church. And the sins that, that we have as a people of God uh, contribute to the opinion of the church in the world and even within the church itself. And the, uh, the summary that I would put on this, I'll have more to say, but the summary that I put on this is that the church has lost its saltiness. That's why I've quoted here from Matthew 5, 13 through 15. So I'll ask for a volunteer to read, uh, Jeff, Matthew 5, 13 through 15. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it receive it? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and gives light to all who are in the house. This comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he is speaking to God's people at that point. He's, he's speaking to the, to the church of his day, and he's, he's saying very clearly what the, what the church is, what we as the people of God are, that we are the salt of the, of the earth. And there are really wonderful sermons on this passage. I, I preach through these myself, so I won't go long here except to point out that there is decline that, uh, that happens in every age, and Jesus himself warns against that decline, a decline that is described here as salt losing its flavor, salt losing its preservative aspects or its flavoring aspect. And when that happens, he says, it's, it's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
the next illustration he gives is that uh, the light of the world and the idea of a, uh, of a lamp uh, that is set up so that it can give light to all who are in the house. And he's calling for the church to let that light shine. And that when that doesn't happen, that we are not acting according to what God designed us to be or to use and proclaim the light or the saltiness that has been given to us. I list Revelation chapters 1 through 3. We won't read those today, but as you think through this lesson on your own, I'll leave that in your hands. What, what is happening here is that Jesus Christ himself is addressing the seven churches of Asia. There are several things that are happening, but among them, he, he rebukes them for the condition of their churches in most of the cases. One of them he describes as having become lukewarm, only used to be uh, used to spit out of your mouth. Another accommodating the sins of the world around them and others accepting false doctrines and straying from Christ. So you hear about the Nicolaitans, those who have accepted the uh, uh, false, uh, false doctrines about the person and work of Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. And these are churches that are, are accepting these false doctrines. Others that are, are, that are accepting uh, aspects of a false practice and uh, a decline that is, is within that first generation of the church. I smile a little bit when people say, oh, can't we just be the New Testament church as if it was pure and without any blemishes? But that's not a very clear reading of the New Testament. The church in every age has this danger of decline and of turning away from the gospel itself. So the result of this decline has led to many criticisms both within the church and without, and a certain cynicism about the church and the world. You've heard some people say, well, I'm not going to join a church. It's, it's so full of hypocrites. I don't want to be a part of that. The sad thing is that there's some truth to it. There's truth to it because there is no perfect church. And it's often an excuse that people will give by pointing fingers at at the sinners that are in church. Well, amen, right? We're, we're glad that there are sinners in church and we don't want to portray ourselves as ever being a perfect church. You know the joke, don't you? If you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> that's the way it is in this world. And that's God's design as well. Hypocrisy is a little bit different, though, isn't it? Hypocrisy is when, when you say, oh, look at us, all perfect and righteous, and then we go out and we act otherwise. And that is to our shame. That is to the church's shame to, uh, to, be, uh, to be a hypocrite in that way. But the, the criticism and cynicism also has an underlying spiritual reason, too, and that has to do with, again, the, 
rejection of Christ. And when the world in general looks at the church and sees its flaws, uh, they are quick to reject that. But they're also rejecting Christ who came as light into the world himself and said in John 3 that people don't come into the light because they don't want their sins to be exposed. So their refusal to come to the church has a spiritual reason as well. But internal decline is something that we need to pay attention to. We need to be on our guard as well to be reformed and every uh, and always reforming. We need to be on our guard against the way in which institutions tend to decline and to be on the guard against the fact that the church is full of sinners and sinners still sin. So we need to be on guard individually in our local church, learning how sinners work together, sinners who are redeemed, but still sin against each other. We need to be on our guard of being quick to hear and to forgive and to repent. And more broadly, the church needs to be on guard against false teachings. Like I did with letter A, societal decline, let me pause here and ask for your observations or questions about internal decline that you observe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There are very interesting survey studies that have been done over the last 10 years or so that that chronicle some of this decline of uh, within Christianity itself. Mark. Mm hmm. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, very good. Vicki? Good. Just building on some of what you said. Uh, yes, Liz. one of the marks of the church that has been celebrated throughout the, the history of the church that, uh, that will examine actually uh, the preaching of the word, um, the celebration of the sacraments, and the exercise of church discipline. These are things that mark the Christian church, and you could see a decline in, in all of those uh, across the board. Uh, very good. Let me go on then to a what I've called a decline due to ignorance. This might be a subpoint of internal decline, but I, I wanted to uh, highlight this and draw it out just a little bit more. And it was sparked a little bit by Sinclair Ferguson's introductory chapter, where he calls attention to the what he calls a modern love affair with the megachurch. Let me hasten to say that this is not to say that big is bad or that small is best, but to observe that the theology at the foundation of the megachurch movement today is uh, it, that it by and large reveals certain convictions that are at least questionable, if not downright unbiblical and dangerous. There is a result that has happened in, in this modern love affair that, that comes from, uh, I believe, really not knowing what the church is and why God has given us the church. And when you're, when you cut the lines to those moorings, then there is drift that naturally takes place. And it leads to adopting practices and models that make the church look more like a business than an, a holy institution from God. And it's that holy institution from God that we're interested in studying and to secure those moorings once again so that the church can boldly be the church. And there is a, a certain ignorance that lies at the, at the groundwork of that. And there's spiritual roots of that as well that are tied to just what is it that, is, that we define success by? What is it that we are looking for in the church? What is the aim and the motive and the mission of the church? And if it's all defined by 
elements of a business model, then success looks very different than, than what I will be proposing and Lord willing leading out from scripture that the, the church is. It looks very different from that, uh, from modern definitions of the church. As an example, uh, the New Testament church also was not immune to this tendency. And this is not a mega church example, but it is a business model example at least. And so I'll ask for a volunteer to read Acts 8, verses 18 through 23. Thanks, Rachel. Like I said, not a strict megachurch example, but we do have a word that has come into the modern language that has to do with this passage. Does anybody know the word? Yeah, simony. <laughs> simony has the idea of selling the gospel, getting money for the free gift of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And Simon, uh, not Simon Peter, make sure we delineate here, this is a different Simon. Simon saw that, that the apostles had power from the Holy Spirit, and he wanted that power. And he offered money so that he could have that same position and power and influence and Peter rightly condemns that. Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Like I said, I'm not saying that big is bad or small is best, but there is a theology in the megachurch movement that I believe is due to ignorance and that that ignorance also has some spiritual roots that may well be tied to business models. It may even be tied to simony. It may well be tied to building an empire that has my name, my face, my books, my, my merch uh, all over the internet and pads my pockets. So there may be Genuine ignorance, just because we just we've swallowed the model of of the church being a business uh, that is an innocent ignorance, and it may be that there are sheep that are being fleeced because of it, and there may also be an uh, an evil intent there as well. That ignorance is promoted, or a different model is promoted. 
once more, I'll pause and ask for your thoughts or questions, interactions about decline due to ignorance. Ah, uh, really? <laughs> Surprise! Somebody was they were making the case for the unified ballot. Wow. Uh, there were some letters to the editor after that. <laughs> 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 not ever, not all the readers agreed. Wow. Yeah, if it's if it's a business and it's a it's a thriving business, you might be you might fall prey to someone who comes in with. And wants to a piece of that pie. Sam. Yeah. 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 Just uh, really being drawn along by the tide of our culture, by the tide even of the church itself sometimes. Liz? Um, I heard an interesting quote from uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ross about this issue. Um, there was a pastor whose name I will, won't repeat here, but he was unwilling to be mentored by anyone mm. who didn't have a church at least in Tennessee. Wow. Some group think that begins to happen, and and uh, the, there was a very popular mega church when I was going through seminary, the Willow Creek Church, and it was uh, it was in church planting conferences. There was a caution not to blindly just take one situation, and because it was successful, quote unquote. Uh, that that you would just adopt that, that those principles unthinking, and it was even called uh, you would willow it. Uh, you would take that that principle and you would go and you would willow it and just repeat it here, there, and everywhere, so that you would have the same success, the same business model. Just to be, uh, just to build on what Chris has said, this is this is not just a church in the West. Um, there are uh, are churches uh, around the world that fall prey to this. Um, so, um, churches in in China, churches in um, I've heard of churches in, in Cameroon and in uh, many uh, places in Africa where the charismatic Church is is racing ahead and is 
often preying on, on the people around them. Let me then just briefly call your attention to number three. This goes back really to my introduction and a little bit to number one, the idea of the difference between the private means of grace and the public means of grace. One reason why we want to study the church is so that, so that you would grow in grace. Individually, this is part of the means of nurture that the Lord has given to you individually to be part of his church and be part of the ways in which he helps you to grow. And uh, then specifically that we as a congregation would be growing in grace. Note again our plan to purchase a church building. And I want you to remember that we as a session are watchful of the, the danger to make the building be our reason for existence. And we're warning uh, ourselves to be on the guard against that. And our study about what the church is is one means to do that. We don't want that, uh, that building to rule us. We want it to be our servant, to, to be a way to minister in our, our community. We don't want it to dominate our time, our money, and our manpower. Uh, the church is not the building. The church is the people of God. The church is us. And we want to study the church so that we would grow corporately, uh, growing in, in, in depth and in number and in all ways that are appropriate to what the church is, and that you would grow in grace you would be deepened in your faith and in your trust in the Lord. So I'll close with Psalm 122 and invite someone to read Psalm 122 and take note of the means of grace that are on display here. Take note of the, of the joy of the individuals coming together as the church to, to worship God. I was glad to hear them saying, let us go to the house of God. Can I have a volunteer to read Psalm 122? Mark. Amen. I've uh, taken discussion all the way through. Any any last thoughts or questions that you'd like to bring up? Jeff. I just bring up on this whole question of megachurches and so on. I think there's often a temptation, it's not all bad, to say, oh, mm. larger church has more resources, there's more age-specific youth groups and yeah. coffee clashes and so on. <laughs> the, the one for the 
<laughs> but uh, it seems to me it just very quickly gets away from the, uh, the ability, say, just for the elders to actually shepherd the church. Mm. It's connected to that really fierce individualism that is part of our culture. That it, it's all catered to to me and my likes, and and if the church doesn't fit me and my likes, I'll I'll find a church that does. Very good. Well, thank you for our study today. You're dismissed.